in the midst of turmoil, believers are comforted by the promises of eternal life in God's presence, of world-changing work, of powerful answers to prayer, of the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the unique peace of Christ. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. I'm going to start off asking you a question. Does your life ever feel maybe just a little bit like this right here? And I know looking out here at Caesar, I know that that is a definite yes for many of us here, that uh, sometimes life does feel that way, doesn't it? You know, I've always loved this image, and sometimes our lives can feel like that when the storms of life are raging against us. And we are not exempt as believers from those storms. In fact, some of the difficulties that we may face will come because we are followers of Jesus Christ. But the thing that I like best about that photo is the man at the door in the yellow shirt standing there casually with his hands in his pockets, seemingly oblivious with nary a worry or a care in the world. You see him there in the middle of that? Hands in the pockets, just no worries, no concerns at all there. So, yes, we all may face storms of conflict, storms of need, storms of sickness, times of uncertainty. We may experience anxiety or fear. But like that man in the yellow shirt there, we can stand firm. Why? Because we are surrounded by the eternal rock and the eternal light of the world, Jesus Christ. So we are continuing today in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a harmony of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with those Gospels put together into one flowing, harmonious account as suggested here by John MacArthur in One Perfect Life, uh, ordering our events there according to that then. We're continuing in then here today with this subject of comfort in turmoil, comfort in turmoil, and our scripture text will be from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, John 14, verses 1 through 31, and you ask, well, what is the big idea? What is the main idea that I want us to take away from our message here today? And that is this, that in the midst of turmoil, believers are comforted by the promises of eternal life in God's presence, of world-changing work, of powerful answers to prayer, of the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the unique peace of Christ. Because of these things that we can stand firm and have peace even in the midst of turmoil. Before we look at our text in John 14, a little context here, we have reached that final night of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus had presented himself to the nation of Israel as their promised Messiah. And while many believed in him, they did not fully understand the nature of his mission, including even his own disciples. The leadership of the nation had rejected Jesus, and they were plotting to put him to death because they saw him as a threat 
to the nation and to their positions of power and influence. And so they were looking for a way to be rid of him once and for all. And they found an accomplice when one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas Iscariot, agreed to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. It was the time of the Passover feast in Jerusalem. The disciples celebrated that Passover meal with Jesus in the upper room. The disciples, unfortunately there, they continued, as they had for some time, they continued to argue about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus humbly washed their feet, and he forgave them of their sins. But then Jesus started making troubling statements about betrayal and denial of suffering and death. And once again, we're going to be reading through a good bit of scripture today. Yes, folks, if you've been coming here for a while, you know we occasionally have what I call the fire hose messages. That's what this is going to be today, one of those fire hose messages. And get used to it, because the plan here is, is because in order to get through this, I'm timing this with the Easter season, which is coming up here. So there may or may not be a fire hose message or two here and then, uh, between now and then. So we're going to be having a good bit coming at you today. But I pray, though, that as always, that you would ask God to speak to your heart through this reading and reflection on his word. In fact, let's pray right now. Father, as we read more of this final night of the earthly ministry of the Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch our hearts as we reflect upon these stunning events. May we hear what your spirit is communicating to us through your word. May we learn what you want us to learn. May we believe what you command us to believe. And may we obey what you tell us to obey. And we pray all of these things in our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, before we look at that scripture, then I want to set the emotional tone of the upper room that night. You remember last time we saw the roller coaster, uh, that image there? And so once again, here was that emotional roller coaster of that night. So first off, we had ambition as they're arguing about who is going to be the greatest, who's going to sit on his right, who's going to sit on his left. And Jesus responds to that with that example of humble service and washing their feet, but also teaching of the importance of forgiveness through that as well. But then he makes these troubling statements, betrayal, that one of them, one of their own, one of the 12 was going to betray Jesus. Can you imagine how that must have shocked and stunned them? That Jesus would be arrested, that in fact, their leader among them, Peter, would deny Jesus that very night before the sun even rose that he would deny, Peter would deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three, three times. Jesus was going to suffer. He was going to be flogged, humiliated. They would all abandon him. That night, Jesus would die, and not just any death, but death by crucifixion. Would your heart have been troubled? (laughs) Yeah. But Jesus offers comfort and reassurance and peace to them. Even in the midst of that, 
of what was going to happen to him, but even in the midst of the failure of every one of them. Do we have a room full of failures? Failure number one is up here right now. But Jesus is gracious, isn't he? John 14 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So first we see this theme here of trust. Believe in God, believe also in me. Believe is, biblically means what? To trust, to entrust ourselves to him. It's not just a agreeing with things intellectually in our minds. It's a trust, a turning over of ourselves confidently. The disciples were completely bewildered and discouraged. Jesus said he was going away, that he would die, that he would be crucified, that one of them was a traitor, that Peter would disown him three times, and that Satan was at work against all of them. His desire was to sift them all like wheat. And that they would all fall away that very night. And the cumulative weight of all of these revelations, no doubt, greatly troubled them. But Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, that is, you trust in God the Father. Trust also in me, God the Son. Trust in God the Father, trust in God the Son. Their hearts were stirred and agitated. But Jesus says, trust. Trust in God the Father, trust in Jesus the Son. And in doing so, this would relieve this soul sorrow and would sustain them in their coming tests. Jesus also said that he goes because he would prepare a place for them. You see, death should not be a terror for God's children because Jesus was going to prepare a place for them, a dwelling place, a home, an eternal home, the eternal dwellings, Jesus calls them. It was a place in the Father's house and in heaven that each of them would have a home there, and that it would be a dwelling place perfectly suited for them. Did you know that? That that Jesus is preparing a dwelling place perfectly suited for you. He says he will come back and take them, that they may be where he is. That death is not the end, but death is what? It is a transition into his presence. It's eternal life in his presence. 
And he says, you know the way. The disciples knew how to get to heaven. He said, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And of course, they're still thinking what? In very literal terms so that, that of, of here and the now. That, well, we don't know where you're going. Uh, how, how can we know the way? But Jesus, ever the teacher, says what? I am the way. He's the way to heaven. He's the way to the Father's house where there are many rooms or mansions or dwelling places for each of us. Throughout his ministry, Jesus had been showing them the way. Did you know in the earliest days of the church, we see that in the New Testament scriptures there, the church was called the way, followers of the way. The way to heaven, the way to God's presence. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says something that's very politically incorrect. You ever notice that, that God sometimes says things that are very politically incorrect? Because he said that he and he alone is the way to heaven. That he is the truth. And that he is the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That salvation, contrary to what some may think, is not obtainable in any other way than through him. He and he alone is the way. He is truth. He is life. He is eternal life. But then he says, well, if you had, if you had truly know me, if you had truly known me, then you would know the Father. He seems to be rebuking them here for their failure to understand that and to understand his person and his mission But he says, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And that is a a promise. A promise that looks beyond the cross and to the resurrection. They will indeed know the Father. So Philip, like probably any one of us, had we been there, says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves, the miracles. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. First, we see a revelation of the Father. Philip is probably longing for what we call a a theophany or appearance of God. He he wanted some kind of visible manifestation of, of God the Father, 
among them. He wanted to see God. He wanted to see God's glory in limited fashion, obviously, but, but something, he wanted to see God the Father. And Jesus makes a staggering statement. Then he says that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now let's be clear about something here. Was Jesus saying that he is the Father? No, he is not the Father. But he says, if you see me, that you've seen the Father. That, that is, that Jesus is not the Father. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are distinct. Three persons of the, the one being God, right? So he is not. Jesus, the Son, is not the Father. But if you see him, you've seen the Father. That In what sense? In that he has revealed him or shown him to you. You want to know what the Father is like? You want to see the Father? Well, just look at him because he's perfectly revealing what he is like. So and they should believe Jesus for because of his character, that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. They should believe him because his words that he speaks come from the Father. He says, the words I say to you are not my own. They come from the Father. And finally, they should believe because the works, the miracles, reveal God's working through him, the Son. Believe on the evidence of these things that what I tell you is true. So all of these things point to the Father. And in fact, Jesus then goes on to make a rather surprising statement. He says, you know, these works I do, these miracles that you've seen, well, you're going to do even greater works. You're going to do greater miracles now, how many of you, like me, if you heard that, you'd be like, what? Right? Have you, Jesus, we've seen the things you've done. All these healings, these, you, 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 you fed 20,000 people with a couple of fish and five little loaves of bread. And actually, you did that one a couple of times. You raised. People from the dead? We're going to do, we're going to do greater works than that? How, how is this possible? But he says, oh, because I go to the Father, you're going to do greater works. And he's going to make clear later, but because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And they're going to do greater works. Now, they didn't quite understand what he was saying. And what we need to understand, he was saying, not necessarily that these works they would do would be more spectacular or stupendous than that, but that they would be greater in extent. For all the wondrous works that Jesus did, he was confined to one small geographic area of the world, wasn't he? He didn't have to be, but he (laughs) chose to be confined to that one small little place, one little dot on the map of the world. But he says, because he goes to the Father, the Spirit comes, they're going to do greater works. What? That they are going to take this message and they're going to do wondrous message. They're going to proclaim the gospel and God is going to do wondrous things, not just in this little area, but where? All throughout the world. And for how long? For three years or 30 years? On and on and on, all the way up to today, and who knows how long, right? These are the greater works. 
that they would do because he goes to the Father. And he promises them too that they have a resource that is prayer, prayer in his name. Ask me whatever you will, what? In my name and he will do it. In my name, again, it's not a magical formula, is it? I know we often kind of will tack that on to the end of our prayers. We say, in Jesus' name, amen. And nothing wrong with with doing that, but it shouldn't just be a little formula we tack on. What are we doing when we say, in Jesus' name? We are aligning ourselves with the will of Jesus, that which Jesus desires that which is in accord with him and his character and his will. And when we are praying according to his will, will he do it? Yes, he will. This is powerful prayer. Ask me for anything in my name means to ask according to his will. And he will do it. And the goal of all of this is what? To bring glory to ourselves Or give us all that we want. Glory be to God, God, right? God the Father is honored and glorified in it and through that. And he will answer and he will do that, which is according to his will, that the Father be glorified. Jesus goes on to say, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He was going to send another helper. The Holy Spirit is the helper, helper, the counselor, or the, the paraclete. That word there that which, from which we translate helper or, or counselor is a Greek word, para, kaleo. Para means alongside, kaleo means to call. He is the one who's called alongside to help. You ever been working on something, a, a project, and you just realize this is just more than you can do, more than you can handle, and someone comes alongside and helps you with that? How wonderful that is to have someone come alongside and help you with that. You see, that's who the Holy Spirit, he's the parakaleo, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside and helps. But you know, it's actually even a little bit more than coming alongside. He's in us, isn't it? 
And he's the one actually who's doing all the really heavy lifting, isn't he? So you're going to have another helper. And he's going to be not only alongside you, he's going to be in you. He's going to take up residence in you. And how long is he going to take up residence? Forever. Do you know you're indwelt? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by the Spirit now. And you will be forever and ever. He's the Spirit of truth. He would guide the apostles as they would later compose the scriptures. He's invisible. He's spirit. So the world cannot see him. It cannot accept and it won't him. But nevertheless, he is real and he is active. Did you know that right now this room is being bombarded by radio waves that you cannot see, you cannot hear, you cannot perceive? You're incapable you're not, you're not capable of receiving those. But if we were to bring a little thing in here we call what? Like a radio and you put it on, oh, I don't know, 670 The Score, sport, Chicago Sports Radio. Anybody do that? Right? Or some other frequency. It's Those radio waves, they're talking about the Bears right now. And what are they going to do with that number one pick? Did you know they're talking? probably talking about that? And we'll continue to. They're probably talking about spring, spring training, right? Spring training is underway. Season will be coming up soon. But right now, they're talking about all, all that kind of stuff, right? But you don't see it. You don't know. You don't perceive it. But if we had a radio that is capable of receiving it, you would hear that. And yeah, there it is. And in the same way, the world can't perceive the Holy Spirit. But he's here, isn't he? And when he turns that receiver on in you by regenerating you, making you new, and spiritually alive, you hear him. Jesus says he is with you, and what, and he will be in them. What? Holy Spirit did not indwell believers in the Old Testament times. But now he does. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't active in the Old Testament times. He was. But he didn't permanently indwell believers the way he does now. And because he lives, Jesus lives, they will live. He's talking about his resurrection. He says, Jesus says, I will come to you. In a little while, what? You will not see me, but I will come to you. Is, he's referring to what? The resurrection. I will come to you. And he says, I love this. Because I live, you will also live. Because I will rise you will also rise, you will also have eternal life. And he even speaks of this, on that day, you will not. Now this is a little after the resurrection. I think he's referring there to what? To the coming of the Spirit in Pentecost. When the Spirit was poured out and gave evidence of Jesus' ascension back to the Father, the Spirit would come into believers. He would teach them of their union with Jesus. You are in me and I am in you. And he would manifest Christ in them. And Christian love is manifested then for the believer too as we obey the words of the Lord and the rewards of loving him are great. The Father will show his love to him and the Son will love him and show himself to him. In other words, they would have fellowship 
intimate, deep relationship, Trinitarian fellowship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that when we obey, when we love, he comes to us and he makes his home in us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Goes on to say, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus speaks of the ministry of the Holy Spirit here. That he would teach them all things and bring to their remembrance all that he said to them. This was a critical ministry to the apostles in which, uh, how do we know all of this? How do we know all these things? Well, because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the fulfillment of that promise that we have right here in the words of Scripture now. Are you thankful for that? You thankful for that promise that was fulfilled? Does this mean the Holy Spirit's ministry is done? And I said, the the Spirit continues to minister through this, And to us, even today, doesn't he? But he promises peace. My peace I give you, not as the world gives you, but his peace. Peace with God, because our sins are forgiven. And the peace of God, that would guard their hearts, guard their lives. But he says, the ruler of this world is coming I thought he was the ruler of this world. I thought God was the ruler. Well, he is sovereign, isn't he? But the ruler of this world, what's what? This fallen, rebellious world. Who's the ruler of the fallen, rebellious world? Satan. The evil world, right? He's coming. But he has no claim on me. Well, what do you mean? He's, he's, he's going to see to it that Jesus is killed. Yeah, and through that would come what? Life, eternal life, eternal blessing. Because God is sovereign, God is in control. By the way, he says here, the Father is greater than I. Does that mean that Jesus, the Son, is of lesser glory and greatness and power than God the Father? Is he lesser? No, what does he mean there? He's saying what? That while Jesus, in his incarnate state, when he had entered into the world and humbled himself, and he was what? Obeying the Father, doing as all the Father had commanded him, that for a time he was humbled and made lower. In his essence, he's not less than the Father, is he? No. He's equal with the Father. But in function here, he was obedient to the Father. And whatever Satan may do, I think someone has once uh, said, uh, 
I know Erwin Lutzer said it. I don't know if this was original to him or not. I don't think so. But he said, even the devil is God's devil, right? The devil can do nothing that God does not permit. He says, come now, let us leave. And we're going to pick up next week from there. But I want to talk for just a little bit about comfort and turmoil. We said that you and I can experience God's... Well, I I don't think it would be possible to be much more in turmoil or have your soul more agitated than were the hearts of those disciples in that room that night, don't you think, after hearing all these things? Not only Jesus is saying that all this is going to happen, but when is it going to happen? Tonight, before the sun rises, all this is going to happen. Betrayal, denial, abandonment of him, arrest, and he'd be cursed, he'd be on a cross nine o'clock the next morning. But don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because you have eternal life in God's presence. He's preparing a place for you. Many of you know I've been on a little multi-year project here of home renovation, kind of redoing the whole house from room by room. And this, the focus last year was outside on a couple of crumbling decks and some other work there. And, and I still have a little more to do, but a lot of it is, 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 has been done. It's coming along. And you know what I love? See, my home, my home has always been my oasis, that place of refuge from the world, right? The place where I would go, I call it the fortress of solitude. Maybe that's being arrogant. Is that, if any of you comic book fans, you know what I'm talking about? No, but I, no, I like to call it the fortress of solitude. To go there and just be away from everything out there. And I love when I go there, especially now with these things that have been done, I love going there and it's just, uh, I, I guess I'll just say it this way. I walk in and I just say, ah, oh, How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? So I want you to know that right now, Jesus is preparing a home for you, an eternal dwelling place, a place of rest, the oasis, the fortress of solitude, if you will. But I would say what? The place of ultimate and eternal... Eternal life. Not eternal... Not never-ending existence. Eternal life. Never-ending what? Blessedness and divine favor and love. Psalm 16 says, In his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures for how long? Forevermore. Eternal life in God's presence. But you know another thing that he said that comforts them and comforts should comfort us too? is world-changing work. Greater works than all the works that he has done, greater works will you do. Not just the apostles, but who else? Us here today. We, as the, as the church, are continuing that mission and that privilege of doing even greater works. Why? Because the gospel message is going and continues to go to the ends of the earth. And you get to be a part of it. And what you do for Christ matters. And will it be forgotten? No, it will be remembered and rewarded for how long? 
forever and ever. So how is this comforting? Knowing this, that when you're going through the hardest things, when you're trusting Christ through it, it's remembered and will be rewarded forever and ever. You get to participate in world-changing work. Do you know you can pray in his name? When you ask, whatever you ask, if it's in accordance with his will, will he do it? Yes, that's powerful prayer. I could give you many examples of that. I'm looking at one friend here right now that we, were just, we just talked about this this weekend, didn't we? The incredible answers to prayer. Did you see any of this coming? Did not. No. The indwelling Holy Spirit. He didn't just minister to the apostles. He's ministering to you and me today. Divine peace. Peace with God. The peace of God. The peace unlike the world can't give this peace. Because this peace is eternal. It's independent of circumstances. And it is forever and ever and ever. So what? What should I do with this today? (laughs) Is that your life today? Maybe you're saying, oh yeah. Some of you are saying, it was, but it isn't now. Some of you are saying, well here's here's what I want to say. Some of you, that that's your life right now. Others of you, this isn't your life right now, but you know what? It's going to be again at some point, isn't it? For all of us. Want to be that guy in the yellow shirt there? He's just got his hands in his pockets. Not a care in the world. Now, I'm not suggesting that as believers that we go through life, hands in our pockets, not a care in the world, but what? We don't need to be fretful and anxious, constantly troubled in soul and spirit. Why? Because he's the eternal rock. And he's, God's got it, Shelley, right? God's got it. She's getting shirts made. God's got it. So, is Dollar General going to let you sell them? Maybe a little. Uh, some heck yeah. Okay, very good. Yeah. So, in the midst of turmoil, believers are comforted by the promises of eternal life in God's presence, world-changing work, powerful answers to prayer, the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the unique peace of Christ. Do you have the hope? of eternal life. It's received by faith in the person of Jesus Christ and his unique life, death, and resurrection. Do you believe him? Have you put your trust in him? Repented of sin, turned to him. Are you involved in the work of the kingdom? What you do for him? Someone once said what... uh, uh, See, this is the danger of trying to quote something uh, just off the top of your head. But only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Right? Are you praying in Jesus' name? Are you aligning your are you asking God to mold your heart and your mind and your prayers so that what you pray is in alignment with his will? Submitting to the ministry of the Spirit. 
You were saved by grace and now you're sanctified or you grow by works, right? No. We're saved by faith, by grace. How else? How do we grow in our faith? By grace through faith in the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in us, right? We trust Jesus to save us. We trust the Spirit to work in us, to sanctify us, to grow us. He's submitting to the ministry of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Do you need God's peace today? Are you that person? Maybe you're on the other, maybe you're on the other side of that lighthouse instead of being in the, in the door there, right? Do you need God's peace today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our hope in Jesus Christ. I know that this was a lot, Lord, for us to to think about here today, but I pray that your spirit will take this and apply this to each one of us uniquely and as, as we need. Thank you that we have a Savior, a gracious and mighty Savior, who has delivered us completely. Lord, I pray that every one of us does or will come to know the Savior and have that eternal life and hope. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would focus our efforts on that which will last and not that which is passing away. Lord, give us a holy boldness in our prayer. Mold our prayers to ask for that which is according to your will. Teach us, Lord, to submit to the Spirit, to be filled with him day in and day out. And Lord, for the person who's struggling now, would you draw near and may that person experience your peace right now at this moment. The peace that only you can give. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.